Can I share with you guys Brother Johnny's scripture this morning? All right. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joseph, Bashabeth, the Tecmanite, the chief of the three, he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for today. And Father, we pray that you use your word this morning to remind us of the power of one encounter. Father, that on our own we may be weak. But Father, with your power, we're unstoppable. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you'd speak through Brother Johnny. Father, that your word would penetrate our hearts. And Father, not a single person in this room today would leave unchanged. Father, be glorified in everything we do. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen. How y'all doing this morning? All right, in 2 Samuel 23, 8, I want you to go to the very end of that verse. And there's two words, and I want you to underline those two words. Highlight them, underline them, point arrows at them, whatever it takes to get your attention. But underline one encounter. One encounter. Because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we started on our, our series called Chase the Lion. And this week, we're going to be talking more about it. We're going to get more into the into the real nitty-gritty in it. You know, those two words, whenever you read, you know, because it says, you know, that he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Now, we're not going to be talking about killing people this morning, but we are going to be talking about one encounters because I think it's important. You know, this week, God, God just really opened the door, and I had several one encounters, you know, and and I just want to share these stories so you see the importance of one encounters. You know, the, the first one that I want to talk about was I got a phone call from one of our church members, and she said, my brother is on hospice. Would you come see him? And so I said, absolutely. So we set the time, and, and it, that was a priority. Everything around that day was around that time to make sure that I got there. And so I walked in, and we was in his bedroom, and um, they pulled a bar stool up, and I was sitting on a bar stool by his bed talking to him. And um, he was just real honest. You know, he was real honest. He said, I've lived a good life. And he said, I've started reading my Bible in the last few days. And he said, I'm trying to, to, to get things right, to get things together. And so as we talked and we laughed and talked about the past, you know, I went back to him and I said, you know, I said, there's a real important decision that you have to make. Because I said, here in my heart, I said, I'm not pushing, I'm not shoving, and I'm not trying to manipulate. But there's one decision that you have to make. I said, if you don't ask for forgiveness and ask him to become the Lord of your life, you're not good enough. None of us is ever good enough. So you have to make that decision. And so as we sat there and as we talked... And, you know, and I read scripture to him and I said, look, I said, we're just being honest again. I said, you know, your time's real limited. I said, my time's limited. I said, I could back out of this driveway and get hit by a truck with the construction going on out here and get killed. I said, so every decision's important. And so we sat there and we talked and I read him some more scripture and he, he said, I'm ready. I'm ready. It makes sense. And he prayed and accepted Christ. 30 hours later, he took his last breath. And so it's important. These one encounters, that's the first time I'd ever met him. 
But that one encounter was important. You know, last week I had the opportunity to go do something with my dogs. And at the end, people was walking by and they was taking cards to bring back to their churches and, and stuff. And it was a secular organization that I was at. And one guy come up and he said, hey, can I get your card? I'd like to talk to you later. And I said, sure. So he took my card and he left. And, and the lady that had asked me to come to it, she told me, she said, he, he's a different religion. And uh, I said, that's good. I said, we all need Jesus. And I just left it at that. Well, later that evening, he called and we talked. And, and he told me his religion. And he said, hey, can we get together and talk in person? I said, absolutely. So I, I went back and I studied I studied that religion because I wanted to walk in with my face painted blue to defend my God. My God didn't need defending. He'd done, done all the work. When we sat down, it was like the guy was just broke, and he was asking questions, and we talked, and we talked, and, you know, we, we was at Linda's, and I bought him a shake, and I got a Diet Coke, and we talked, and he said, hey, can we get back together this week? I said, you, you name the time and a place, and I'm there. Well, Thursday, again, Thursday was the day for him, too, we got back together. I bought him another shake and bought me another diet coat. And we sat there. And as we talked, I never had to defend nothing because God had already done all the work ahead. And he prayed and accepted Christ. And so just that one encounter, you know, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because in this scripture, it says that, that he went against 800 men and he killed all of them. When he went against those men, he didn't see 800 ways to fail. He saw 800 opportunities on how he could serve his Lord. Just like Ben and I that we talked about last week that's a little bit further down that scripture. When Ben and I run into that, into that snowy pit, I don't believe he was lion hunting that day. I believe that he was trying to just honor God. And he didn't see 500 pounds of ways to fail. He saw 500 ways he could, pounds he could serve God. And so today as we talk, that's what I want us to really realize. What's the one encounters? What's the things that we can do that we can serve God? And how can we do it the best? You know, and as I, as I talk today, you know, and you start looking, you know, impossible odds set the stage for God's greatest miracles. Have you ever thought about that? The impossible odds, the things that don't make sense that we do. How many things have we done at Live Oak Baptist Church that seem impossible, but yet God's been honored? You know, there's some of you, Mr. Richard and Brother Howard. There's some of y'all, Miss Robbie, you know, you've been here. I could get y'all up here and y'all could say it made no sense. It made no sense. When Howard Turner walked in front of that building over there and said, hey, we're going to build a new sanctuary and this is how much we're going to spend. I know there was people that sat there in their mind and said, makes no sense. Right, Brother Hank? No sense. How can we pay a note on $300,000 with 40 people? You know, how can we do this? But our God was glorified through it. But we have to be willing to come off the, you remember my real pretty drawing from last week? If you wasn't here, this is a snowy pit. And these are the things that the staff has realized is our lines in here. But we could stand on top of this pit and never go in, but that's not what God's called us to do. He's told us, run into that pit. Run, I've got this. Run into it. And let me take care of the rest. And so this morning, you know, what's the impossible odds that we're against? What are the things? And, you know, something that I believe, I believe God is strategically placing all of us to do something for him. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in chance encounters. I believe everything that God is consistently moving us and positioning us for something that he wants done. But you know, the biggest thing that we have to do, we have to take that first step of faith. 
And a lot of us are scared to death to take the first step because we don't know what the second step is going to be. But a lot of times he don't reveal the second step until we take the first step. And so we get in this standoff. We say, well, God, I'm not taking the first step. Do you tell me the second step? And God's saying, well, I'm not going to give you the second step. Do you take the first step? So we have to have faith. We have to be willing to stand on the top of this pit and not just look. We have to run in. And we have to run in wide open. Is it easy? No. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many Raiders of the Lost Ark fans do we have? I don't remember the exact one. But um, it was one of them. Remember whenever Harrison Ford's standing on that cliff and he takes that first step and there's nothing there and then the bridge whoop, appears? That's what I think about when I think of faith. I think we have to be willing to take that first step and step out. And then God's going to be honored. You know, last week I mentioned that sometimes faith is willing to look foolish. Faith is also the process of unlearning our fears. Faith is taking that first step before God reveals the second step. I wish I could put a camera on that water and, and show you a, a real good visual. But what happens in that water when it's real slick and you drop a rock into it? It makes a ripple, right? And you never know exactly how far that ripple is going to go. I can remember whenever I was growing up and I used to fish a lot. And I'd get in those ponds late in the evenings, early in the morning. It was slick as glass. Anybody ever experienced God like that? The water's just slick. Have you ever dropped something in it just to watch the ripple? And just to see how far the ripple could go? If you've never done it, it's fun. Go do it one day. It's relaxing. But you know what? We never know what that ripple's and what that ripple's going to do. I believe there's an awful lot of us that our actions, not our actions, but our unactions or inactions. I believe our lack of decisions has a ripple that we never, that we'll never understand because of the things that we miss, the things that we don't take that first step, that one encounter like he's talking about right there where he went out on that battlefield and all of a sudden he was alone. And he said, you know something, my God's God. My God's got this. I don't care if it's 800 people. I don't care. Because my God's God. But we overthink things. You know, we're in the middle of a building project. If you don't know, if you went, I love walking outside and seeing little specks of sheetrock and stuff laying out there because that means there's progress. That means there's something going on. And, you know, today we had to make a shift. We had to make a judgment call yesterday to shut the water off the A building. And so I just sent a text out to all of our teachers says, hey, tomorrow's going to be different. There's wet wipes in the rooms in case they get their little fingers dirty. And we're going to have to shuttle the bathroom and, and see building. So we might need some extra help. Well, this morning I walked across and before church and I run in the bathroom real quick. And uh, my little buddy Dylan was in there. And he was getting soap out of the dispenser. I've never got that intrigued by soap until this morning. Because we got that really cool foamy soap. And I love foam soap. And he pumped that thing and that foam went into his hand. He pumped it again. He looked at me and said, Uncle Johnny, look. It's like an ice cream machine. <laughs> Every time I get washed my hands now, I'm going to think I'm washing them with ice cream. But you know what? It made him scrub them that much harder. But you know what? Just like that, there's work going on next door. It don't make sense. Why are we making little bitty bathrooms that you had to go outside and change your mind in into bigger bathrooms? We got the Taj Mahal coming over there in a few weeks, don't we? <laughs> I mean, there's going to be people walking in the bathroom and say, wow, this is what life is. 
You're laughing, but we need help. We need help this week. We need help for the next several weeks. So if you're bored or if you're not bored, show up. We can put you to work. But you know what? It's progress. It makes no sense why we're doing what we're doing. But we're preparing for the future. Because God's got something for Live Oak. We have to be ready. We have to take that first step. Why, does, why, why do we need to change anything in that building? Why do we need to tear that other building down and build a new building there? Because God has something for us to do. And he's saying, I want you to Live Oak to take this first step. And then I've got your steps after that. But you have to be willing to step out. And so a lot of times, you know, we'd have just sat, what, what if I mentioned it last week? What if Brother Merlin McCann, when he walked on this property in 1985, would have said, mm, let's not build? What if when Brother Howard come here 26 years ago, he'd have looked and he'd have said, you know something? Let's just close up and let's go join Judson or let's go join one of these other churches. What would our community have missed with Live Oak not being here? Because I'm convinced something would have been missed. And so, but we have to be willing to take that first step. You know, this morning, you know, I want to push the envelope a little bit. I must say this. I believe that we are one risk away from being a totally different reality. I believe we're one risk from having a different reality. I believe that we're one idea away from a total different mentality. And I believe we're one decision away from a totally different eternity. There's people that we're going to have our one encounters with this one decision away from where they're going to spend their eternity. And sure, it don't make sense. And you're thinking, well, I, I'm, just, I'm just Johnny. What can Johnny do? Well, Johnny can sit at Linda's and buy somebody an ice cream shake and sit and talk to them. What are the one encounters in your life that you're running across with people? You know, I don't believe, again, that, that Joshua, when he showed up on that field, that he was looking for 801 odds. He just showed up and was obedient to what God called. Again, I don't think that when Ben and I showed up on top of that pit, he was lion hunting that day. I believe he just showed up and he was obedient to what God called him to do. And so when you start looking at the things in here again, you know, and, and you look at no, grow, go, you know, we could sit back and say, we got a pretty slogan. We can make a pretty t-shirt and a pretty monogram on a shirt. And that's all we need to do. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to leap off here into that pit and to help people come to know the Lord. He's telling us, hey, you need to teach them how to grow. You need, what's he tell us? That we're to teach and we're to disciple and we're to baptize, right? And so we're to do these things. And as they do that, it's going to get really messy because then they're going to start going. And as we go, what are we going to do? We're going to start impacting the community. We're going to start impacting our neighborhoods. And as we do these things, our small groups are going to become more important. You know, today, let's just say, I'm not asking you the politics of it. I'm not asking you if you like or dislike the system. But we all agree that education is important for our kids, right? We would all concede that we all need to be educated for where we're at in our life, right? I'm just talking about basic education. But yet we'll sit and we'll not teach the Bible. We'll say, you know something? That's important, but I'll do that another day. That's important, but I'll teach my kids the Bible after I get them to be star athletes. I'll teach my kids the Bible after they've killed that big buck and mounted it on the wall farm. When it's the most important thing we should be teaching our kids. Because what's it tell us in Deuteronomy 6? It tells us 
to write it on a doorpost, to talk about it day and night, talk about it when you walk, talk about it when you sit down. It's important, but yet we don't do it. We stand on top of that pit and we say we're not going to do it. Every David needs a Ben and I. You know, Ben and I showed up and he killed this lion. Ben and I showed up and he conquered these other people. What? To make David a better king because he bought into the dream of David. He bought into the vision that David had. Ever Johnny Morgan needed an Edward Crouch. Y'all have heard me talk about Edward. Whenever I met Edward years ago, you know, and Edward said those four words and he was standing there sharing his testimony. And he was talking about while he was doing his testimony, he was saying how he would rather do a funeral than a wedding. And I can remember thinking when he said that, that makes no sense. I'm there today. I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. But as he said that, and then he said these four words, he said, because dead men don't talk. And I've told y'all before, I wrote that in the cover of my Bible and I went home that night and I struggled and I wrestled with God in my living room. And then I finally just give up and I said, all right, God, I'm going to quit talking. I'm going to surrender to the ministry. And I went back and I told Edward at the kitchen, in the kitchen and cook hall at Amy Baptist Church, I said, Edward, I said, this was my struggle last night. And I said, this is where I'm at. I've surrendered to ministry. And he said, good. I knew that yesterday when I walked on this campus. But he said, that had to be your decision. You had to take that step of faith. You had to do this. And so God used that one encounter with Edward Crouch to change my life forever. Tammy still don't talk to Edward. Here we are 20 years later. <laughs> because it turned our life upside down. Every time I see Edward, he says, Tammy, you going to talk to him this week? Nope. Nope. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs you to be that Ben and I that'll run into that pit farm. You know, as I was preparing, as I got to thinking, you know, there's people that God has put in my life that positioned me to dream. There's people that's been put in my life today that equipped me years ago. You know, my parents, my Sunday school teachers, I've had mentors, I've had pastors in my life that have equipped me to be here today. You know, I'm going to name a few names, and I've left off thousands of names, and you can believe that. But I'm going to list some names. Some of them you might know, some of them you might not, might not know. Gerald Martin, godly man. One of them guys, I wish I could stick a flash drive in his ear and just suck his Bible knowledge out. You know, because he knows. You know, he was a very black and white to this day. There was no gray with Gerald Martin when he stood up and preached the word. You know? Terry Booth taught me a lot whenever I was under him. Michael Luce and Bobby Morford as student pastors taught me how to be a student minister. They taught me how to chase after God. Edward Crouch that I've mentioned, you know, those four words that Edward spoke changed my life forever. Ernest Carrier poured a lot into my life whenever I was younger. Randy Bankston and Hewlin Molly, Calvin and Denise Booth, Brother Howard has been a huge impact on who I am today. My wife enables me to dream. Who are those people in our lives? Today, there's some of us, or all of us, I don't know what risk you need to take. I don't know what decision you need to make. But this is what I'm telling you, it needs to happen. You need to be willing to step out and say, God, I love you. 
God, I love you. I'm involved in, in two different grow groups. And I know that when they get a text message from me, they're going, oh, there he is again. Why is he asking me what am I dreaming? Why is he asking me where God's challenging me? Why can't he just say, I love you and I like what you're doing? Why is he always pushing? Because I think we need to be pushed. And I think we need to be shoved sometimes. And I think sometimes we need to learn that we need to stop standing up here and we need to get down here. You know, Monday night, me and Frank had the opportunity to go to a training at the associational office and Kevin Roberts, and some of y'all has heard us mention his name a lot. And he's going to be here at the end of the month. But Kevin Roberts was teaching a thing on Sunday school. And what did I tell y'all? That's in the bottom of the pit. That's going to be something that Live Oak's never going to quit on. That's the hill we'll down is on small groups with Sunday school and grow groups and, and why they're important. And as he was sitting there and he was teaching that and he was going over, you know, all of a sudden light bulbs started going off in my head and light bulbs was going off in Frank's head and we was started looking at each other. And when we do that, y'all are in trouble. I'm just throwing it out there. Things are not going to be the same when them light bulbs start going off for us. And as we sat there and as we listened and as we was looking, you know, and he said some things and I started making notes and I come back. And I want to just run through some stuff with you. But this is what I want to do first. If you're one of our Sunday school teachers, stand up for me. If you're one of our Sunday school teachers, stand up. How many of you thought you was equipped to be teaching your class? But you know what? God's using y'all. If you're one of our grow group leaders, stand up for me. Sunday school teachers, stand up. Y'all stand? Y'all stand? If you're one of our grow group leaders, stand up. It's important. It's important. Christian, I want to pick on you and Jerry. How many Sundays did y'all sit by yourself in your Sunday school class or just with one or two and say, maybe we need to combine this class? I walked by this morning, 15 in that class, wasn't it? 16. You know what? And that's a class that a year and a half, two years ago, we had conversations. Do we need to combine this class? Because on the other side of the petition, the class we was talking about combining with, y'all can sit down now, I'm sorry. But the class on the other side of the petition that we talked about combining with was college and career. How many did y'all have this morning? 13. So right there, that's 29 that we had in two classes that we almost canceled those classes and did away with them or combined them. And if we'd have combined them, we wouldn't have had room because our God's God and he's faithful. And we have to take that first step. I can't tell you how many times I walked by Miss Beth Hill's class, the ladies' class, and how many times I walked by Mark Roberts' class when he was teaching men, and there would be nobody in either one of them classes, and they would sit there and pray for their, their roles. And you know what? Both those classes have developed now because God's God. We have to be willing to run off the top of this pit and get in the bottom and fight for it because it's important Teaching people the Bible is important. And so, you know, as we were sitting there and as Kevin was running through numbers and he'd give us a book a while back and me and Frank had both read the book and he was kind of going through some of the stuff in that book. But, you know, this morning, what have I told you as a church that we wanted to increase our Sunday school by 50 by December? Some of you would say, hmm, I'm thinking it needs to be double that, but I'm the pastor. But it would be easy 
But to increase by 50, we need to really jump 100 to get 50 average. Does that make sense? So let me show you how easy it's going to be. In the children's division, from bed babies to fifth and sixth grade, that means we need to increase by two and a half kids a month. Two and a half kids a month. That's not a big number, is it? And if you divide that by six classes, because that's how many it is, from bed babies to fifth and sixth grade, if you divide that two and a half by six, that's manageable, right? Youth. Y'all need to increase by 1.6 youth a month. There's three classes. That means you need to increase by 20 this year. That's 1.67 a month. So if you divide that by three, you're increasing a half a person a month. I think y'all know at least a half a person you can start bringing with you, right? <laughs> adults. From young adults, that's college and career young adults, all the way through, we need to increase by 50. That's 4.7 a month, but that's 12 classes. So when you start looking at numbers, that's not big things. And, I, and some of y'all are probably sitting there thinking, that's all he talks about numbers. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about souls. I'm talking about people that need to know the Lord. I'm telling, talking about people that need to learn how to know, grow, go. Because when they figure out who God is and they make him Lord of their life and they start growing, then that going is going to come natural. We're not going to be able to hold them back. You know, part of our going right now, we've got a team that went for the second time to the ballpark, and we hadn't had the results that we think that we should. But you know what? Are we going to quit? No, because we're going to keep going. That way the community says, hey, there's somebody that's showing up here every other Sunday to do a, a devotion at this ballpark, and all of a sudden people are going to click and say, hey, we need to go. But we have to be willing to take that first step. We have to be willing to step out and say, all right, God, I trust you. God, I'm going to take that step. I'm going to run out on that field and I'm going to take my spear and I'm going to face 800 people. And those 800 people that I face, I don't see it as 800 ways to fail. I'm seeing 800 ways that I can glorify my God so that people can look and say, look what God done. Look what God done. What's in the bottom of this pit right now, Forrest? There's a table in the back that's got VBS sign-ups. There's still empty blanks on that. Shame on us. That list ought to be overflowing, wanting to minister to these kids are going to be coming in two or three months and seeing us. But what are we doing? Are we standing here or are we running down here? My prayer is that we're running down here. If you stand close enough to me and one of the staff, we'll grab you and we'll pull you because it's that important to us. But what are we going to do? How are we going to live? When you look at those words, they're simple words. One encounter. One encounter. One encounter. How many people do you have one encounters with? How many people does your path cross every day that you can stop and you can say, you know, my God loves you. My God loves you. Look at each other right now. Remind each other that. God loves you. Say it to your neighbor. Even if you want to look at your spouse, look at him anyway. Tell him God loves you. Look at your kids. I know that's kind of hard to let them know that God loves them. It's just like this week. I feel like I feel like by yesterday evening, have y'all y'all ever watched the, the calf roping? You know how they're 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 racing behind the calf on the horse 
And the guy throws the rope, and he ropes the calf, and he jumps off that horse, and I, I, that'd be a train wreck for Johnny Morgan. <laughs> but he jumps off that horse, and he runs, and he grabs that calf and throws it on the ground, and ties the feet real quick, and throws his hand up, stop time. That's what I felt like by yesterday evening when I come back up here. I said, God, I feel like I just need to throw my hand. And I come in here, and I just sat for a few minutes like the song we sang, and I just got still. And I bowed and I worshiped in the silence. And just in the silence. And as busy as last week was, I wouldn't change nothing about it. Because I was serving God. What's your one encounter?